lives and we get through all that, that is my day-to-day -day life. But I'm here with people who I think, for whatever your standpoint, you want to please God. And ultimately, I think the vast majority of people want somehow to please God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to make a Lutheran disclaimer here. Lutherans say it is not what we do. And that is true. It is all God. On the other hand, we are then left with this life. And how do we do our day-to-day -day stuff? And so we are just going to say, yes, it is all God. God has prepared everything. And we're not talking about the response of our hearts. And that's where the problem comes in. Because how do we do that? There are so many philosophies and epistemologies. And we live in this world and we talk about how we're polarized. As if there's this view or that view. But when you start talking to people, there's this view, this view, this view, this view, this view, this view. There is many different ways of going about it as there are people. And there are so many rules. And everybody says theirs is common sense. And that is why today's gospel lesson was so important to me because in this lesson we get a clue of how God wants us to please God. Because if God is well pleased with Jesus, then it would seem that following the path of Jesus and doing the things that Jesus do would be a way to please God. For example, I'm pastor of the Parktown Food Hub, so my life starts about one o'clock in the afternoon, which means I am here really early for y'all. <laughs> but we have a board that is committed to flexibility, to helping the community as much as possible, and to do the right thing. They'll say that. We really want to do something because it's the right thing to do. And they routinely make decisions out of that that are completely counter to any conventional wisdom about business or organizations or even about churches. We do all kinds of weird stuff. But if you're going to do strange things, it's pretty important to know why you're doing them and to have a reason. And so what we do when a new member joins the board, everyone goes around and individually says, yes. We will make decisions about hard stuff based on what Jesus would do. Now, I have a Hindu, a Muslim, used to have a pagan, she quit, um, a Jewish person, some Christians, but they all say, oh yeah, I might not agree with you on who Jesus was, but I agree that the way we should do things is the way Jesus did them. So, behaving like Jesus means that we then have to figure out the what, when, where, who, how, why of what Jesus did because as human beings, one of our God-given gifts is being very clever and crafty and trying to imply that my way is the Jesus way. So if I'm not studying on this and if we're not reading about it, it's like, oh no, it is very clear to me that this is what we should do even when I'm wrong. And many times our board has said, Hadn't said and done things that I went, really? We're going to do that? We're going to give 9% cost of living to all our employees plus merit raises? We're going to budget every penny in our budget just knowing that God will give us extra? Are, are you sure? And they're like, yep, it's the right thing to do. If we're going to do this work, then every penny will go to the work even if it means we fall apart. And they're doing that because Jesus gave his all. So, sometimes we forget that part. 
We want to think that Jesus is nice and non-confrontational, or maybe Jesus is a Marvel superhero, or if you're a DC Comics person, maybe it's a DC Comics superhero, or we try and focus so hard on the death and resurrection that we kind of forget about the life that came before that. But in today's lectionary, Isaiah and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, give us some guidelines. And of course, the whole Bible is full of helpful stuff, but um, if you go and read all the lectionary lessons for today, you will hear that Jesus would be the one who brings out prisoners from the dun dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. The former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. So, if we take that, hanging out with people who have run afoul of the rules of society, with people who are wandering around in darkness, and not doing things the way they've always been done, but doing new things. And we like it that Jesus did new things 2,000 years ago. And we like it that our ancestors did new things a few decades ago. But sometimes we're like, we don't want to do new things today. We like how they are because we have figured that out. And we do not want to be stretched with new things. And yet, that's what Jesus calls us to do. And from Luke, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So yes, from God, of course, forgiveness by God. We are all really happy about that. That's really great. But it also has to mean forgiveness by us. We can't be grudge holders if we want to be Jesus followers. That one is really hard for me. We could talk and I could give you my list of current grudges, which I'm holding on to very tightly because I am very strong. But even on the cross, Jesus was offering forgiveness to the very people who were killing him. And we can't let Jesus do all the forgiving because if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to please God, then we have to be forgivers too. And sometimes you just have to fake it till you make it. Now, of course, our reluctance, reluctance to do like Jesus did is not new. Even John, in today's gospel, Jesus came and said, baptize me, please. And John went, what, what, what? What? No, uh-uh. No, 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 no. No, you are mistaken. I come to you. You don't come to me. But Jesus said, no, you have to. To fulfill the righteousness, to fill it up, to make the righteousness not just be Jesus's righteousness, but for us to all live into God's righteousness. Because if I am human, then I need to be baptized and received into the community of people who love God. So John said, okie dokie. And God said, yes, I am well pleased. He's well pleased with Jesus. He was well pleased with how Jesus is living his life. He was well pleased with the situation where Jesus got to be baptized by John. God's own self affirmed that baptism is important even for the very Son of, God, Son of God. Now, what we hear also from our friends Isaiah and Luke is that Jesus was not out shouting in the streets. In fact, Jesus did a lot of going off to pray and like, they're coming after me again. But Jesus is also the one who won't break a bruised heart who won't put out even a dim spark of loving. This is the Jesus who draws on the spark and goes and gives breath to the gasping 
and invites everyone who is hurting or frightened or burdened to do something better. So the NFL player who had the heart attack on the field is probably alive today because someone lived like Jesus and gave him breath on the field. They say if he had not received the CPR, he wouldn't have made it because someone gave breath. And God is always giving us breath like that. So I hope I have convinced you that what pleases God is the life that Jesus led. But now there's the next part. This is baptism Sunday, the baptism of Jesus. So what does that have to do with things? Well, if we think about baptism, what do you probably think of? Oh, the cute baby. And maybe it cries and then we say, oh, that's the devil coming out of him. And maybe they're wearing a pretty dress or outfit that's been passed down through the community or through the family. It is all possibility. And as that baptized baby grows, sometimes it's hard for us to tell if a baptized child turns out good because of good fortune or family or opportunity, or is it the Holy Spirit shaping and nudging and leading the child? When a baby is baptized into a family, into a community, into the security of these are the people who believe this stuff about Jesus, we sometimes can kind of forget about the power of the Holy Spirit because all of the joy and frustration and tension and excitement of seeing a beloved child grow is also just normal for how children grow. And if things don't go so well for a child, because, of course, everybody's baby is just going to grow up to be the best. But sometimes they don't. And then we're slow to think, wait, this is a child of God baptized into our community. How are we going to breathe life into them? How are we going to preserve them? And I will say here at St. Philip in my time here five years ago, can you believe it's been five years? I saw a lot of breathing life into young people who are struggling in their various things. But baptism is, in the end, an invitation. An invitation to faith and the faith that is made by the Holy Spirit. For babies, the invitation is often the context, in the context of a birth family, an existing faith community, a network of community that provides resources and discussions, physical, mental, and spiritual nourishment, it can seem relatively straightforward to recognize the invitation to a child so embedded in a family or a community. But what about when the invitation is not embedded in the community? I've done exactly one baptism since I was ordained, and it was Lisa's niece, Elena. Elena's in her 40s. And she has lived a life full of all sorts of unimaginable evil that was rained down on her since she was a tiny child. And I am not using that term lightly. Her story is one of the most horrific I have heard. But it is not my story to tell, so I'm not going to give you details. But please know it is not the story of a sweet, beloved baby wearing a family baptism dress. It is a story of over 40 years of trying to find a way and not really getting it right and then being punished no matter what she did. But about 18 months ago, Elena called and there had been a lot of odd texts from her telling her when the end, telling me that when the end comes, she's going to bring her women to me because we are going to save them. 
And I'm like, mm, yeah, no, I don't think I will, but okay, cool. But it came to a head and she needed the place to go. So she was coming to be with us, but things had fallen apart and she could not drive past Columbia, South Carolina. So Lisa and I drove to some Columbia, South Carolina to get her. And we found her sitting in the parking lot of a Baptist church, terrified at what was happening to her. She told us at one point she'd sat with her back to the church because if she was touching, God told her if she was touching the church, the demons couldn't get her. She didn't know what was going on with her. She was doing the best she can. And so we're driving and Lisa took uh, Elena's car and I was driving with Elena. And I was thinking, oh, Lord, what are we doing here? What is happening? I don't know that I signed up for this. And Elena said, will you baptize me tomorrow? And I was like, God. <laughs> so I said, yes, of course I will baptize you. But no, we can't do it tomorrow because baptism has to happen in community. We have to find a community for you to be baptized into. And she got to work. She went with me and she met people. And a few weeks later, we had a baptism that included a dozen people, half of whom were pastors from all over Durham that she had somehow found. And most of whom don't go to things they're invited to because there are too many, but they showed up for Elena's baptism. And there were some members of the Parktown Food Hub community. There was me, there was Lisa. It was a community of people that had sprung up at just the right moment and they were willing and able to witness this invitation that the Holy Spirit enter and claim Elena as her own. And the thing is, it might be easy to say, oh, she got baptized, but that child has changed. She is different. And I don't always get to see how people are different, but I know people who know Elena since the day she was born. And she is still who she was. She has the same sense of humor. She, she still lives in the same community where she grew up. She still loves to dress up. She will change her style like that. So this day she's Stevie Nicks and next week she's a cowgirl. But she is also different. And I believe that in her baptism, the bruised reed of her heart was held so gently and it was healed. And the dim wick of faith that she wasn't even sure exactly where it was in her, but I think it was brought to light instead of being quenched. You can tell that she has been changed in a way that a baby who was changed in infancy might not show quite so dramatically. Her mother, who did not have baby Elena baptized and who declined to attend the baptism here in Durham, called us a few months later and said, what did you do to her? Because she is different. I have lived with this child her whole life and now she is different. And I do believe that the difference happens in all of us. I believe it happens in a baby, even if we don't have the track record to know before and after. And it is a difference that we can foster in ourselves and encourage in others. It's not always so dramatic, but there is a change. Because we are baptized and in wanting to be please God and be like Jesus, we learn in community how to choose between giving up on someone and crushing their bruised heart 
are preserving that heart and giving it support and care so it can heal. We learn how to choose between slamming down curtains of darkness in the name of justice and quenching the dim light that might still be there and protecting that dim light and breathing it into brighter light by responding with care and compassion. And that might mean saying, oh, I wish they weren't doing it that way, but we will stand with them. So when they realize that that's a problem, they have somewhere to turn. Being strong enough to care for others, even as we set boundaries that help all of us grow stronger in doing things the way Jesus did them. Attending carefully to the circumstances of an individual instead of lumping everybody into groups and closing our, our ears to the cries of pain. But here's the thing. In all of that, behaving like Jesus, the one with whom God is well pleased, means loving first. Trusting that in loving before we judge, listening before we call for punishment, offering compassion before we insist that the only explanation is that they meant to do intentional harm. In our baptism, we are drawn into the community of Jesus, the one who took his godness everywhere he went. We are called to take our baptism with us everywhere we go, into every situation, every place, with every person we run across. You don't always have to do it consciously because if you are changed and have been changed, then that is who you will be. But it's also a good idea to recognize who you are. We live into our baptisms when we look for ways to brighten the dim flames in those around us, reaching the people who are in front of us, and addressing the problems our hands can reach. There isn't a lot that I can do about Ukraine. Although I did order a crochet kit from a woman there because I was so amazed that she could be in a war-torn country and still send me stuff in the mail. And it came and it was wonderful. But that was what my hands can reach. I don't have to worry about the problems my hands can't reach because there are plenty right in front of me that they can there are plenty of bruised hearts who need the care. In living out our baptisms, we show that we have faith in Jesus because we show that we have faith that the crazy, non-intuitive things that Jesus did are going to be the things that we do too. And then we will notice and celebrate when the results are so astonishing. In living out our baptisms, people know a little bit of Jesus because they have met each of us. And so today I echo the invitation that came when the Holy Spirit moved in your baptism. Love like Jesus. Love everyone like Jesus loves you. Amen. them to the church or you can give online. Thank you.
This is my revelation, Christ Jesus crucified. Salvation through repentance at the cross on which he died. Now hear my absolution, forgiveness for my sin. And I sink beneath the waters that Christ was buried in. I will rise. 